Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. I just want to say too that I pray you, I don't talk about it much, but um, you know, it's such a joy that when I step up on this platform, this altar to teach, to preach, to minister Jesus to you, that he's here. And it's a joy to be able to minister, to preach, and to be in unity with my wife. You know, two of the biggest positions in a church that will bring the most disunity, discomfort, um, it's such a joy to have such harmony together in our worship and in our word. And so thankful for a team. Corey, nice haircut, by the way. Jeff's always got his haircut. But we're so thankful for a team that, and a church that can just flow. And in prayer this morning, um, I didn't really even tell you, I'm getting, she takes, Jake to practice. I had Luke here, or Luke with me, getting him ready. We divide and conquer. Mom and dad have the two olders. And I'll always try to take just 10, 15 minutes and pray and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? What do you want to do today? And as of late, I've had this deep conviction that the church doesn't need more 30-minute TED Talks of how to dream more with God, how to be more prosperous with God. But there's such deficiency in the church of if we actually just focus on Christ and we focus on things like his incarnation that we have been teaching through, his coming as a baby. If we focus on things like his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, his descension through the spirit and Pentecost, When you focus on these hallmarks of the life of Christ, that will disciple you and carry you further. As we just saying today, it's his blood that gives you strength. It's not a 30-minute injection into your veins to get you by or get you to feel better of a pep talk I can give you. And I can give those. But there's something much deeper when you preach the Jesus of the scriptures, and by the way, that is the only Jesus. If he's not in the scriptures, that's not Jesus. And I want to be, and we want to be faithful to you as we grow and understand this. I would rather have a row of three people who want the Jesus of the scriptures than a big church who wants the pomp and circumstance to get you by. And I'm not saying anything against there, but what I'm saying of what God's called us to here. And this is the slow, hard path forward. As I spoke of last week, are you willing to die? The seed has to go into the ground and the soil breaks the shell of the seed before the beauty of life can ever come forth. But many are not willing to be buried in deep, unseen, hidden, unnoticed, so that the seed can then break in beauty and life can come forth. So if you allow him to bury you this last day, this New Year's Eve, 
instead of going into the new year with all the hoopla and the pomp and circumstance and you're going to be greater and greater and greater and more and more and more and better and better and better. You've got to understand the way of Christ first is you always must first die before you can ever live. You must always approach him in lowliness and humility. Not pounding your chest and say, God, why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that? And all the things we do and say in our flesh and in immaturity. But I just want to thank you for being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and I pray that you were blessed by that and just be sensitive because I believe there's another moment that um, as we worship around communion, I believe it'll be powerful this morning. But if you'd lift your hands, we'll pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in this house, this church. God, we ask as we look to Jesus this morning, he's the one who gives us endurance He's the one who equips us for every good work. He's the author. He's the finisher. Father, I thank you that when we open the scriptures, that we just don't read about him, but it's the author engaging with us. And when we get into the scriptures, it's not just studying it, but it actually begins to study us. So, Father, we ask that we go deeper. God, that we not be content in the, in the kiddie pool, in the shallow end where it feels good and mommy and daddy are there and you got your pool floaties on and everything's comfortable. But God, we plunge into the deep of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, that he is the living God, that his blood still has power for us today. We yield, we surrender, and we look more fully to Jesus today. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. Well, you can be seated and thankful you're here today. And um, pray you were blessed last week. You thankful for kids ministry today? I told you you would be. Some of you by the end of the service are gonna feel called to go serve in kids ministry. Yeah, Kathy says amen. <laughs> it's probably the first amen I've heard in a while over there. But no, we love you this Christmas season. And, you know, this is always, does anyone ever find that this week is just kind of you're in dysphoria? Maybe a lot of you aren't working, your kids are home, and it's just kind of an in-between week until you get back to your routines and your schedules. But what I feel impressed to talk to you or to share with you this morning. If you're taking notes, encourage you to, you can write this down, but I want to teach on cultivating a love for Scripture. Cultivating a love for Scripture. You know, in these last few years, um, as you just see the, you know, as a part of being a pastor is you see the joys of people and you celebrate those but you also see decay. You see people getting disoriented. You see people growing in the faith, but then you see people walking away from the faith. And the thing that, and this is really what Jesus teaches us in the way that he designs it, is if we veer from the scripture, we get into troubled territory about what we believe about Jesus, about what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we expect of the church, what we expect of life. And when we get out of the boundaries or the guardrails, I, 
even uh, read a, a, a startling Barna research statistic that said somewhat, and this is about pastors, this is pastors, close to 40% of pastors that were polled don't believe in the full inerrancy and the flawlessness of the scripture. So we have pastors in pulpits all over America that will shy away from certain parts or not believe in the totality from cover to cover, from old to new, from Genesis to Revelation of the authority that scripture is to play in your life. Aren't you thankful for the Bible that you're holding or the Bible maybe that you're scrolling through today? And if you will begin, maybe you're here today and you haven't gotten into the scriptures in some time or the Bible on your shelf is a little dusty or maybe you are intimidated by it because you don't fully understand it. If there's an excuse, you can find one, trust me. But what I want you to come to today, to the place of your faith is you are maybe writing some New Year's resolutions or writing some goals that somewhere, preferably toward the top, it would be to cultivate a love of the scripture and to keep it. And what I love about the scripture and what has revolutionized my life, my preaching, is from cover to cover, from page to page, is finding Jesus in the scripture. And this has been a, a, a huge goal of mine in my study, or really sitting with the scripture, sitting with the Bible, sitting with the text, because you can kind of approach it in one of three ways. You can go for the historical approach. You can get the facts. You can get the stories. You can, you know, there's historical, the scripture is historical fact, but you're not supposed to just live in the historical fact. It's, it's a part of, it's a piece to the puzzle. It's a part of the pie. Now, a lot of in teaching the scripture is then going to a place where you have the historical fact, but then you have the biblical application. How do I apply it to my life? And a lot of preaching really centers around the application of how you take this idea, this principle, this truth, and now flesh it out, live it out, um, you know, sowing and reaping. But then you get to a much more closeness, a deeper place, an intimacy, and it would be how can I behold Christ in the scriptures? You know, the old saying goes, you become who or what you behold. And many of us, we behold the wrong things. We behold the wrong ideas. Who you are today is a byproduct of a lot of choices you've made, of a lot of decisions you've made, good, bad, or wrong. And what we've got to get today is when we cultivate a love of the scripture, deeply we cultivate a love of Jesus. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, many people's approach to the Trinity, if you're unlearned or uneducated, just kind of a cultural Christianity approach is God is angry in heaven. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb that was sent to atone for my sins. And the Holy Spirit is just weird and I don't get it. It's kind of the, you know, the cultural Christian approach to it. And many a times, when we even go to Jesus, we stop at the point of, okay, I just kind of focus on Jesus on Good Friday to Easter, or we talk about him around Christmas because he's born in a manger. But we don't understand, and we're going to look at this today just very quickly, of how Jesus teaches us the scriptures, that Jesus reveals how we're to understand the Bible. 
Jesus in his resurrected body actually has a Bible study with his apostles and teaches them how to view and understand the scripture. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but the greatest Bible study I would love to be a part of would be taught by Jesus himself. Somebody say amen to that. And I think we can overlook this. And even as we get into a season of uh, bringing Bible studies back, as we're kind of in the season of, of pause during Christmas and we start up Bible studies again, is my hope, my prayer for you as you get in the scriptures is that you look for Christ from Genesis to Revelation. And when you find him, it takes places like Leviticus, some of the harder prophets to understand, and it puts a joy, it puts a closeness, and it puts an excitement to places of you're just not trying to get through the Bible in a year, which if my opinion is, I would rather you get through the Bible in five years and go very slow and digest it than just try to rush through the Bible and get it the concepts but not sit with it, not let the Scripture read you. Because if you want the Scripture to read you, you've got to be slow and take your time. Because, again, this is the only book that you not only study it, but it studies you. And if you want to really change, not just have some nice resolutions of how you want to grow, how you want to get in the gym, how you want to, you know, set goals. And I'm, I'm not against those things, but real change only comes through the blood of Jesus. It only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to see today is Jesus says this himself, because I can say the Bible is all about Jesus, but to be a good Berean will show me chapter and verse where that's at. Because the Bible is all about him, and when you begin to see it through this lens, it changes everything in your study, in your love of Scripture. And the reason I chose in the title, you got to cultivate, because you, when you view the Scriptures, it's though as you're walking through the garden, just like Adam and Eve was, walking in the cool of day with God, fellowshipping with him, is there should be a fellowshipping nature as you walk through the garden of Scripture with Jesus. You're getting to know him more. You're learning to pray. You're learning to communicate with him and commune with him. So we see this, Luke 24, 27. This is on the road to Emmaus. I'll take a whole week, a whole Sunday during um, when we get into post-resurrection after Easter, and we'll look at different accounts of Jesus in his resurrected body in the 40 days he was on the earth and how he teaches and what he, what he teaches us in his resurrected body. But this is important. It says this, it says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What you got to establish and, and understand today is Jesus isn't talking about the New Testament here. You've heard me teach this. Jesus is talking about the scriptures, the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi. And what you've got to see is when Jesus would teach He would go to those places in the Old Testament and say, I'm here, I'm over there. And he would bring them close and say, I want to teach you what you've been looking for. Now in light of me, it all comes together. It all makes sense. It's not scattered. It's not unclear. It's very simple. And you can find Jesus in the Old Testament. John 5, 39 also says this. Jesus says very clearly that the scriptures testify of me. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. 
So Jesus very clearly says, these scriptures testify me. We looked at several, several weeks ago that Jesus said, before he was, I am, claiming perfect, equal status with God. That when you see the Father, you can see him in the Son. That you can see the Son in the Father. That if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus, and you will see the heart of the Father perfectly. We also see this in Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus says this, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. For all these things must be fulfilled, which was written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Look at this. This is this, this amazing Bible study Jesus had with his disciples in his resurrected body. In verse 45, it says, And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the what? The scriptures. So if you want to cultivate a love for the scriptures, you are in essence cultivating a love for Jesus because it was the word that became flesh. Jesus perfectly fulfills the word. Jesus is the word. And what I'm trying to get you today, if you're gonna really fall in love with the scriptures, not where it's just a Bible, not where it's just a book, not where it's some red letter from Jesus and black letters from the apostles and the epistles and, and all of this, is that when you can see Jesus everywhere, you can see that's my savior. That's the one who paid the ultimate price for me. That's the one who teaches me the way, the truth, and the life. And the thing I love about, before there was ever the coined term Christian, it was known as you were a part of the way. Because Jesus taught that you're the way, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you wanna walk the way of what life is all about, model the pattern. If you walk the way, walk the way of the scriptures, you will find life and you will find truth. This world is in such an identity crisis because they do not follow the way. They do not follow Jesus. Therefore, they will never find truth and they will never find life. And I think we take for granted the fact that you have a Bible, that you have the scriptures, that you have the spoken and written word of God and that you have a blueprint of how to build your life successfully. But the thing that in a Western mindset or a Western culture is, it's not a quick process. You can't put your life in a microwave and come out 30 seconds hot and ready burning for Jesus, right? You gotta cook. You gotta put a slow drip IV in and let that thing drip to nourish and refresh you. And so if you wanna follow Jesus more closely this year, you've gotta understand it is a slow it is a baby step. It is putting one foot in front of the other process. And so if you try to cram, even on a week-to-week -week basis, all of your walk with God into an hour and a half, or when Pastor Garrett really gets preaching, close to two hours on a Sunday morning, it, you're not gonna get it all. And so in cultivating a love for the scriptures, you can then take your scripture, you can pray the scripture, you can walk with God in the scripture, you can grow in the scripture, and you can become more like Jesus. Because the inheritance that the Father, the Son, that the Spirit has for you is becoming like him. That is your inheritance. That by who he was by nature, we become through grace. And so as we grow in this life, as we grow and become more like him, 
you are coming more deeply into the inheritance that he has for you. And this happens miraculously. This happens slowly. This happens even unintentionally at times. But what you've got to do is, just as Jesus said, is that he opened their understanding. This is why you have secular authors who know the Bible more than many of us, can quote all of the scripture, but their eyes are not open to its understanding. So there is a mindset you've got to grow in and develop. See, your heart can change when Jesus touches you, but this renewing of the mind that Paul talks about takes time. Your, your mind isn't renewed after you get prayed for in one moment. You have to go on a journey and a process of your mind beginning to think as Jesus thinks, to think as the scriptures think, and to understand them the way that Jesus teaches us to. So we see in, I, I love this text in Psalms. We doing okay this morning? Some things getting cultivated? All right. Psalms 1830 says this. It says, as for God, his way is perfect. Aren't you thankful his way is perfect? It says, the word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Another translation says, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. Now, those of you who said amen at the part of he is a shield for all those who look to him for protection, you've gone through something in life. You've actually had to look to him and dig into him and press into him because you've needed his refuge. You've needed his protection. And this is the beauty of, of putting in time with God. As you'll see time and time again, when you turn to him for refuge, when you turn to him for protection, you're gonna find him and he's not gonna let you down. He's gonna be exactly what you need, not what you want, but he will be exactly what you need. And I love what the psalmist says because he says kind of the same thing in a different way. He says that his way is perfect. His word is perfect. His word is flawless. Now there's not anything in this life that is perfect and flawless except for him. And they hung him on a cross. And so in given and understanding that we have the flawless, perfect word of God, why would we not throw our life into this? of studying it, of knowing it, of walking in it, of taking refuge in it. And I love it because it says this word is proven true. Whether you believe it or not, it's already true. Don't care what your opinion is on it. It's true. And if you will take it at its word, you will find the refuge and the strength that you need. I love this as we taken this Christmas season of the incarnation of Jesus, of all those at play from the Magi to all the wonderful Mary and, and all the wonderful stories and, and, and key figures in this nativity in the Christmas story. Mary is one who, as we've talked of, she treasured the word. She kept the word close to her. And in treasuring the word, there is a rest that comes into your life. You see, when you preach Jesus, you don't have to go and try to reinvent it and come with a, up with a creative message all the time. I've experienced such freedom as a pastor these last few years of just talking about Jesus, giving you the scriptures and letting that disciple you, not how I can get you in three steps to be a better person. 
hear this. I love this about Mary. In reading the Bible, we are to model ourselves on the Blessed Virgin Mary. For she is supremely the one who listens. You see, with Scripture and prayer, this is a new idea for a lot of people. Prayer is not so much talking to God, but it is more listening. You get way more in prayer when you listen over when you talk. Now, it's back and forth, but understand that it's together, that you have to listen more than you talk to God and receive his spoken word. Because the word's already written and the word's already spoken. So you need to take it and you need to listen. So Mary listens, and at the Annunciation, when the angel visits her, that's what the Annunciation is, she listens with obedience and responds to the angel. She says this in Luke 138, be it unto me according to your word. She could not have borne the word of God in her body if she had not first listened to the word of God in her heart. If you want to flesh out the word of God in your life, you first have to listen to it. You have to digest it. You have to eat on it. You have to meditate on it. And you have to understand that there are layers to walking with God. There's more than just what meets the eye, but there is layers to the scripture. And that's why Jesus, he, he puts these layers in here because when you seek after him, it is the most exciting journey you will ever embark on because he wants to be found and if you seek after him he's going to be found that's like when we sing in in the yeshua song my beloved is the most beautiful and when you get into song of songs there's a lot of bridal language there romantic language and and seeking after god just like a, a groom does for his bride there's a romance that is involved there and so when understanding this there's a romance at play. And you can't be afraid of it and you can't be weirded out by it. But it's, it's heavy symbolism to understand in this lifetime of pursuit after Jesus. After the shepherds have adorned the newborn Christ, it is said of her in Luke 2.19, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Again, when Mary finds Jesus in the temple, we are told his mother kept all these things in his heart, Luke 2, 51. The same need for listening is emphasizing in the last words attributed to the mother of God in Scripture at the wedding feast at the Cana of Galilee when Jesus turns water into wine. He says this in John 2, 5. Mary says this, whatever he says unto you, do it. So before you ever do it, can you see the process of what we see through the mother of Jesus, the mother, the beloved Virgin Mary, is that before you do it, you've got to ponder on it. You've got to let it cultivate in your heart. And then you will live a life, a, a life of faith is seen by action, that when you know the faith, then you do the faith. You walk in the faith. And that's where you find victory in your life. Mary serves as a mirror, as a living icon of, biblical, of a biblical Christian. We're to be like her as we hear the word of God, pondering, keeping all these things in our hearts, doing whatever he tells us, and we are to listen in obedience when God speaks. And this is the, and we're going to see this in a minute, is the promises of God are not all unconditional. There's conditions attached to them. They're not for part-time Christians. They're not for Christians who just say one thing, 
and sin another or do another, who live in perpetual sin and just want to be covered up and just live as a hypocrite all the days of their life. And so if you want to walk more fully with Jesus, you've got to shed the hypocrite nature. But understand that in the church, it is a hospital where when you bring your brokenness, God isn't turned off by it. He welcomes it and wants you to bring it to him. There's this great Old Testament story where there's a man with two limp legs. And uh, it's in 2 Samuel. and, And David would bring him to the table, to the king's table. And this can be an example of when we come to the Lord's table in communion, that this man who had um, deficiency in his body, when he sat at the table, you didn't see his deficiency. He looked like a brother like everybody else. And it's a picture of when we come to the Lord's table, we bring all of our brokenness, we bring all of our deficiencies, and when we sit at the table, our deficiencies aren't what is on scene, and look at that person and their mess and their junk and their funk. But what we see, we are gathered around the body of Christ and he is making each and every one of us whole. He is perfecting each and every one of us by his word. And this is the place the church is always meant to be, is to administer these graces and to administer these truths so that you become more like Jesus and that you don't hide from your imperfections, but you bring them forward to him and you allow him to touch you and to change you at the deepest part of your insecurity and your deficiencies, and yes, in your sin as well. But it even gets to the, to the bone and marrow of it, of getting into the places that you hide behind saying, that's just my personality. No, you need to repent of those things, and you need to change. I love this portion in, in Joshua. And Joshua, who would be a type and shadow of Jesus, he teaches us this very important truth. And I believe this is even prophetic for our church as we have this new building on the horizon. Um, as our school grows, just Kathy told me over the last two weeks, we've enrolled five new students in ZCA just in the last two weeks going in out of Christmas break. And so we, you can see God's touch on this house and what he's doing. And as you see in Joshua, you see a picture of a deliverer who's a type of Christ and teaches them how to go these contingencies of how you get from the wilderness to the promised land. That before you ever get from the wilderness to the promised land, there's a river you've got to cross. And I'm sorry to tell you, you can't just walk on water like Jesus did to get across it. That's how much, sometimes, that's what we think Jesus can do with our issues and our problems and our circumstances, is that we can just walk on water and walk right over them and skirt through them. Well, the thing you've got to see, and this is the whole Exodus story, is there are no shortcuts with God. You can't just flip a switch on and say, I can arrive when I feel like arriving, when I want to arrive. That's why you've got to take every day and say, I start with Jesus today and I'm going to live my, the rest of my life for him and I'm going to be all who he's created and called me to be. So Jesus says this, or Joshua says this in Joshua 1, 6 through 7. And I love the symbolism here because the wilderness in Canaan, Canaan where they want to get and where they want to cross the river, 
it symbolizes immaturity and maturity. You see, in immaturity, you live on the manna, you live on the quail, you got to get water out of the rock. Many of us, we stay on manna out of immaturity. Where the place of maturity that God wants to get us is he wants to get us into the promised land. But you cannot go into the promised land in immaturity. That's why they went around and around and around year after year after year because they were out of Egypt. But what did God have to do? He had to get Egypt out of them. And in this Christian life, the way God works is he is so patient, so gracious, so long-suffering, so kind on getting Egypt out of us, getting idols out of us. And not just the big idols, the big sins, but the small, subtle idols that you don't even know are there until a situation or something happens, till you become a parent, till you get married. Come on, some of you, when you get married, you didn't know there was a lot of stuff in you, and then it all starts coming out. Wait a few years, and you have some kids, and there's a whole other amount of crazy in you that starts coming out. See, God gives you marriage, and he gives you children for your sanctification and for your salvation. Makes you more like him. Makes you more selfless, not selfish. So this is what he tells him. As you cross this river, as you go from immaturity to maturity. Anybody today, you want to be a little more mature? This church is going to be called to maturity. It says this. It says, be strong and courageous. You know this. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to the ancestors I would give them. He says it again. Be strong and very courageous. You get into the end of Revelation, and there's a list of sins of what God rebukes. One of them is being a coward. You see, I'm of the belief when you consistently live in perpetual fear, it's just not a weakness, it's a sin. Many of us, we tolerate fear and we say, oh, it's just a weakness in my life. No, he, in Revelation, rebukes the coward. And you see time and time again, this is why we have to be strong and courageous. This is why you cannot play with fear, doubt, and unbelief. Because it will never produce anything good in your life. So he says you've got to be strong and courageous. courageous. Now look how detailed he gets here. So in being strong and courageous... Now you've got to be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. How, how many of us do we just blow past the things of God all the time? Do we take the time to be careful to rightly divide, to obey? Is are we just partial obedience? Do we just fly by? But we've got to be careful to obey all the instruction that Moses gave you. And then he says, do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. You know, I was thinking too, in the Old Testament, the story of David, um, there's this scene, there's a story where when David's hiding from Saul, he actually goes to sign up and fight with the Philistines, his enemy. And you can go and read all the details. But the Philistines were not his covenant people. So he was, 
signing up for a battle that was not his. And as he was signing up for a battle that wasn't his, even the Philistine commanders, they said, David, why is he signing up? We don't want him. What, is, what in the world is this? And so David, word spreads and that this is what David's wanting to do. And as David goes back to Ziglag, where his, his family, his money, his possessions were, uh, when he gets back, he finds that everything was raided. His family was taken. His possessions were gone. His wealth was squandered. And I was thinking through the story that it paints a picture. It is never worth to get yourself involved in battles that are never yours. And one of the biggest places of immaturity in the church is when you get involved in battles that are not yours to fight. When you get your nose in other people's business where your nose should not be. When there's gossip, when there's, um, we blaspheme, when we talk negatively, when we get our nose in things, just as David did when he went back to what should have been security, it was all ransacked. And this is where we've got to be careful. As we are being called to maturity, you got to stay in your lane. You got to keep your mouth shut. This doesn't mean that you don't seek biblical reconciliation when someone says or does something. There's right and wrong ways to do things. But if you're of the nature and of the type that just wants to stir up, stir up strife, stir up confusion, this isn't the place for you. Amen? In other words, you don't want to dip your toe in things you have no authority in. I think this is where a lot of us get in trouble. Even outside the church, we dip our toe in things that we don't have authority in. So again, the manna, the quail, the water out of the rock, this was for the immature. But the milk and honey is for the mature. And this is what God was wanting to do. But look what he was saying is you've got to cling to these instructions. You've got to cling and, and watch carefully of what the truth is. Don't just blow through it because you don't feel it. A part of what Bree was trying to be sensitive to is we want to be sensitive to how the Lord is leading, not just do a song because that's what was planned to do. But in walking in a spirit-filled manner and in a spirit-filled life, you do everything and anything to protect the sensitivity to hear God's voice. I thank God that he has an assignment on my life, but I care more about hearing his voice than operating in the assignment. You have to hear the voice first before you operate in your assignment. Joshua 1.8, as we read on, it says, the book of the law, it shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, but in it. See, this is a much deeper language here. You don't meditate on it and just kind of sit around it and skirt around it. You got to get into it. See, this is a whole different way where to read scripture. Again, it's supposed to read you. You're supposed to meditate on it, pray on it, sit in it, and get into it. Not just in the morning, but day and night. It's supposed to be a lifestyle. Following the way is a lifestyle. It's not a Sunday morning experience, it is a lifestyle. 
And again, these are the ABCs of Christianity, but when you get them down and you get consistent in them, they hit the enemy like a sledgehammer. And they're a great weapon in your arsenal against the enemy. So you got to get in it that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, hear the blessing in this, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. See, many of us, we want to leave, here's how we want to read the scripture. Be strong in the Lord, be very courageous, uh, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Right? We just want to get to the prosperity and get to the success, but we never want to take getting beat up a little bit, going forward in the word, getting beat up again, staying consistent, staying faithful, and doing what it requires of us, being obedient to it. Again, obedience isn't fun. Training our kids to be obedient is not fun for us and it is not fun for them, but it has a lifetime of reward if you stick with it. Stick through the emotion of it, stick through the screaming of it, stick through the spankings, stick through all the stuff. Joshua 1.13 says, remember the word, and I want to close with this. Invite the team up. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. You see, when you do it God's way, when you do it through his word, what you're going to find is there is rest that accompanies it. There's not all this striving. There is living, like I said before, Adam never had to pray for rain because he lived in the dew of the garden. Many of you, in times of my life, we are crying out for God to move and for God to do, but if you live away in the way according to the scripture, you stay in the dew of his word and in the dew of his revival that you're not running to him for 911 emergencies all the time because you're with him, you're consistent with him, you're walking with him. You getting this today? I know I don't have a rhyme and a chime for you for the New Year's message today, but this is the stuff and the meat and the truth that is gonna get you through regardless of the situation. You can copy and paste this stuff on anything in your life and you will see fruit from it. You know, I've, I've come to find is we enter in nine going on 10 years of marriage, seven years going on eight as a lead pastor. Um, seeing all of the transitions of ministry, transitions of people, um, you know, kind of seeing to the place where what we've been praying for is, is happening. God's moving. There's a building on the way. Um, the school is growing amazingly, is healthy, great teachers, kids, staff, but you know, in order to get to that which is prosperous and successful in your life, and understand this, I'm, I'm saying this in the most humble way I can, is there is so much before you get to the success that has to die. And there are some long, lonely, hard nights. There's some Gethsemanes like Jesus had where you're literally sweating blood to get to the will of God.
And what you've got to understand about life and about how God moves is that what you're really seeking and that what you really want. It's this paradox where almost something has to die in you to where you don't want it anymore and then he can give it. Yes. It's the simplest way I can say it. I mean, if you've gone through it, you know it. But there are certain things in your life if you keep trying to grab for but never go through the hard, long process and allow him to kill some things in it, allow, again, the seed, like we said, has to be buried in the soil and it has to die so life can come forth. What I'm telling you today, where the place of your breakthrough, where you're staying in immaturity is, like I said about purity, purity isn't adding to last week. Purity is removing from. Many of us, we just want to keep adding to, adding to, but never repenting and allowing purity to come forth. I'm telling you this, if you can see God's process and his contingencies and his plan of what brings you into a place of being a biblical, spirit-filled Christian, success his way, not the world's way, not climb the ladder, not go for more, not go for broke, not leave people in the dirt behind you. But when you do it his way, he adds no sorrow with it. Joy always comes in the morning. Sorrow may last for a night, but you can see joy is on the horizon. What I'm here to tell you today that this just isn't my sorrow. This is the sorrow and, and, and the death of, if you can hear this, of many, of blood, sweat, and tears and sacrifice to get to this place. And it's such a joy when you can see God working and God moving and God doing, but it's not something that's absent of it all bringing God glory, about bringing him glory. It's not about a man. You gotta see this too. Second Timothy, this is the one we all know about scripture. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, amen for reproof, ah. correction, what? For instruction in righteousness, amen. That the man of God, or other translations, that the servants of God, that's you and I, those who serve God, may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you don't wanna be left in the dust or you don't wanna have get left behind with God, you got to stick close to this. You got to understand that it's going to hit you between the eyes when you don't want to be hit between the eyes. You got to wrestle with it. If you put this up, Dylan, there's this great early church iconography, the nativity. And you'll see all the players here. Take the lights down so we can see it. And there's one point in this description. You'll see all the main players, the magi, the shepherds, the angels. You'll see Mary, you'll see Christ. You'll see the ox and the donkey who actually represent the Jew and the Gentile. And the only way they will ever come together is with Christ. You'll see Christ wrapped in not just swaddling clothes, but what looks like grave clothes because of his ultimate accomplishment and purpose. One place I want you to see is Mary is resting as we've talked about her. She is 
keeping and treasuring the word of God in her heart. This is what she symbolizes for us of a life well lived in the scripture. Close to the word, close to Christ. You'll see in the bottom corner here, you'll see Joseph depicted. You'll see he has a crown around his head, a glow. And in all the early church iconography, those that have a crown around their head means they endured, means they fought the good fight. They heard, well done, good and faithful servant. They're saints. They're part of the church triumphant. But who you'll see next to him has no crown. This represents Satan, our spiritual enemy. And Joseph is in the posture of pondering, questioning, doubting. You kind of see this in, with Joseph even in the biblical narrative. As he questions, what in the world is going on? What is my role in this? What is my place in this? And as he's questioning, and maybe you've experienced this in your life when you've questioned, when you've questioned God, when you've doubted God, who is quick to come and start chumming and chiming in your ear? So you see this and the thing I love is that Joseph has a crown which means he endured and he succeeded. And in this life, if you just bow your head for a moment, I want you to think of where is it that Yeshua, Jesus, Christ, where is it that you need to cling more closely to him? Where is it that you need to allow Jesus to correct you, to instruct you this year, to instruct you in righteousness so that you may be complete, full, thoroughly equipped for every good work he has for you. You have an assignment. You've got a job to do in this life. And one of your greatest ministries, you will hear me preach to the day I die, is faithfully loving your spouse spouse, and faithfully instructing and child uh, raising your children. That is your ministry first and foremost. Before ever you get a microphone, before ever you get a platform, it is your family, it is your spouse. And today, God's got good work for you ahead. And if you allow this seed, if you allow this word if you get not just around it, not just close to it, but you've got to get in it, this is where you'll see God prosper your life. This is where you'll see biblical success. Get monetary things out of your head, though that's a part of it, but think along the lines of peace, joy, love. How about you're more patient this year? You're more long-suffering Begin to think that he wants to cultivate not just gifts in your life. Gifts attract things, but it's the fruit that keeps them. What if he wants to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit more deeply in you this year? I'm telling you today, when you acquire these fruits, there is a peace that comes into your life that no man can give you and no man can take. So Jesus, we ask as we see you are the one that the scripture teaches from Genesis to Revelation. That we just don't have a relationship with pages on a book, in a book, in a Bible, but our faith is in a person. Our faith is in the Lord. And God, we want to be rightly ordered. We want to know the Jesus 
in the scriptures. And Father, I pray this year we cling closely to you. We walk with you. We sit with you. Just like Mary did at Bethany, she sat at the feet of Jesus. Father, let us sit with you this year like never before, rightfully dividing the word of truth in our life. As you stand, we're going to take just a, a moment to worship and we're going to take a moment to prepare our hearts to receive communion. As we read last week, it says, judge yourself now so you don't have to be judged on that day. There's a should be a, a part of your Christian walk where you are reflecting, you're judging your intents, your hearts, your motives. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I just being surfacy, or what is the deep intentions of the heart? Because that's what he's after is your heart. He's not after a smile and you doing this on Sunday. He's after your heart. And you can bring it to him today in all of its broken state and you can find hope, help, and healing for your soul, for your body, for every part of your life, that you don't have to be left behind with Jesus just wondering what he thinks or what he feels about you. It's all right here in this book of instruction, in the scriptures. So Jesus, we thank you. If you'd lift your hands for a moment, we thank you, Lord, as we just posture our heart to receive Holy Communion to receive your body and your blood. Father, we ask that you do a work in us this year, that we remember you in all things, that we don't forget the promises of God, the blessings of God, the instructions of God, the correction of God. Because on our own, in our own sinful nature, in our flesh, we are broken in need of saving and healing. So Lord, save us and heal us, teach us, equip us, make us complete for every good work. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.